I am glad to be here myself. I, I uh, told a couple of people this morning I slept like a baby last night. It means I woke up every two hours grumpy. <laughs> Did not have a good night. Fighting a cold, so bear with me. And if I sound like I'm, I'm sick, I am not. I'm fighting it. I will not concede to defeat. But anyway, I appreciate you guys being here with us today. We're going to wrap up the series we've been in uh, called Big. And uh, I hope you felt challenged and encouraged in this series. And if you've missed any of them, they're online. Or you can pick up the CD at the information table. But the first week we talked about God's big heart, and I landed hard on that because that's the foundation for everything we do around here, is the huge, massive heart of God, the love of God for the world, so much that he sent his one and only son. We talked about the big plan of God, and that it meant uh, us, that God's plan is to use you and me, and that he left his church here not just as a club, not just as a group to hang out and have fun together and sing nice songs on Sunday morning but to do more, to go outside of these four walls and to reach our community, to serve them, and to be bringers and includers, to bring them to things here, Sunday morning services that are designed in many ways for them, things like the Halloween party. And I have gotten a little flack from our, our more religious friends in the community about the fact that we're calling it a Halloween party. Get over it. Again, it is, it is designed to reach people who are far from God, and that's what they know. That's what they call it, so that's why we're doing it. And it's going to be an awesome time together. Well, we talked about God's big plan. And then last week, I dealt with the big drift. The fact that all too often in my 54 years in the church and, and uh, even in the last few years, I've seen the church, even in this area, drift from God's purpose, God's plan for them. That we get, we get isolated and we forget that God came uh, for the one and that sometimes we have to leave the 99 for the one. And as the shepherd did, go after those who are far from him. And today we're going to talk about big church, and I'm going to tell you up front, honestly, very, very frankly, that this is going to stretch some of you. This is going to be one of those times where you're going to think, well, I don't know how I feel about that. That's not really what I had in mind. I will tell you that God always, it seems to me, finds a way to stretch me. Anybody else been stretched by God before? That it is the nature of the kingdom of God to often take us to surprise us in our journey. Kind of like the way this hunter felt. I got this picture. Takes a while to get it, doesn't it? You know, I posted it on my Facebook page this week. I love that picture. I think he was a little surprised, but not, and, and the moose are smart. But anyhow, I think that's just for fun. It has nothing to do with the message. Um, I think sometimes we get surprised, though, and God stretches us, and that's okay. When I was a very young man, my wife and I, uh, about a year married, and we moved to Eugene, Oregon, from Southern California to Eugene to go to Bible school, to go to Preacher Factory. And uh, we moved there and began to look for a church because we were new to the community. And we happened to move right next door. I kid you not. Talk about God. People would think, think there's coincidence. They have no idea how big God is. But we moved right next door, literally right next door in, the, in our apartment complex to Joe and Lena Whitworth. Now, you may have heard that name. They are, are uh, the pastors. He's the pastor of Life Center. Has been here for over 35 years. And he's been my pastor and friend for that long and we moved right next door to them. The first time we saw Lane, she had a plate of cookies in her hand and said, Hi, we're your neighbors. And we got to know them. And they knew that we were looking for a church. And he was on staff as a youth pastor at a very large church called Faith Center in Eugene. Now, in all of my years up until that point uh, of church, I'd never been a part of a big church, never gone to a big church, and had attitude, really, about big church. And so we dragged our feet. We kept going to other places and looking at other churches. And Joe and Lena kept saying, why don't you come? And oh, you like it. It's cool. A lot of young people. It's different. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Finally, we gave in, and we went. And I'm going to be honest with you. When we pulled in, I knew right away I was going to have a little bit of a struggle. It, the parking lot was like Disneyland. 
packed and huge and cars everywhere and people just by the hundreds pouring in this place. And then we get in there and they sing songs that I didn't know one song. I'd been at church all my life. I didn't know one of the songs. And they sing choruses and things like hip, hip, hallelujah. It's like, what, what are they doing? And, and the pastor wasn't in a suit and tie and that's just wrong. That was a joke. We sat on, on uh, chairs and bleachers, and, and, uh, and it, they didn't have pews, and you can't be spiritual without a pew. And, and it was weird. It was just really different for us and huge. And in fact, the, auditor, the auditorium was an old gym, uh, school gym that they'd knocked out both sides, kind of looked like an airplane hangar. And I kid you not, when we pulled out of that parking lot in our little red Subaru wagon that morning, I turned to my wife. She'll tell you, I turned to her and said, well, we're never going back to that place again. And I, I mean, I was done. And we had no intention of ever going back. Uh, make a long story short, and I'll just cut to the chase. Uh, we ended up going there. And a year later, I was on staff there at that church. And uh, then they sent us out to come to Spokane to help start Life Center 35 years ago, whatever it was. So... God often surprises us and stretches us and takes us places we might not think about going. I told you that story, though, because up until that point in my church experience, up until that point, I had been a very big fish uh, in a small pool. And part of my struggle, to be real honest with you, was I realized I would be a small fish in a big pool. And I was proud and egotistical, and, and it stretched me. And it stretched me to think about going someplace different and bigger and, and uncommon to me. And yet it was bigger and better for us, the bigger and better plan that God had for us. Now, I know that, uh, that some struggle, I understand the struggle because I've been there. That's why I told you the story. I understand the struggle that some have with big churches, that they can be intimidating and even a little scary, which may explain in part why the average church in America is somewhere around 100 people, to give or take uh, 5 or 10. It's somewhere around 100 people. That may be why, in part, that that's true. But what concerns me, and, I, and I'm going to be very frank with you, what concerns me is how few in the church seem unbothered by the fact that the church in America is actually shrinking. That the average number used to be higher, and it's actually going down. That the average church in America is shrinking in size, and that there are at least, it kind of, it's hard to nail down the numbers, but conservatively, at least 110 million Americans that don't go to church anywhere ever. I mean, they're not even CNE attenders at Christmas and Easter. They just don't go to church, which means they probably, most of them, have very little, if any, relationship with God. And my concern is that too many in the church today, and I say capital C, the church universal, the church worldwide, the church in our country, the church in our region, have, uh, have, have forsaken the one, that they leave the, 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 the one there, and that they're not willing to leave the 99 for the sake of the one, and that too many are, are satisfied with the status quo. They're satisfied. They, small churches, that's fine. So I'm comfortable. That's okay. And I finished last week where I want to start today by telling you how it breaks my heart when I hear someone say that East Point's just too big for them and so they're going to leave. Ah, it's just too big and I just don't know anybody so I'm going to go someplace else. Because I wonder, who do they want us to leave out? Who do they want us to leave out? With so many in such desperate need for a Savior, who are we going to ignore? And that is the question. The introduction you outlined today says this. If we have the big heart of God, see his big plan, and remember those who are far from him. If we get all of those things, then we will see that the church is never big enough for God. Now, I told you that would stretch some of you, and I know that. Some, I know some of you are like, ah, no. If you understand the heart of God, and if you understand his plan, then you will have to embrace this reality that the church is never 
going to be too big for him. Second Peter 3, 9, Peter wrote these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And I am so glad that God has been patient with me. But Peter says, God is patient with you, not wanting, listen, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Two very important words there, anyone and everyone. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How many people on this planet does God still want to have a relationship with? Every one of them. How many does he desperately desire to, to love and to, for them to know his love? All of them. That's the heart of God. And listen to me, and this is a simple reality, but it's truth. Everybody spins forever somewhere. Everybody you know is going to spin forever somewhere. And the church's primary mission, not our only mission, yeah, I know, but our primary mission, the number one focus, the number one reason why we are here, and I'll go nose to nose with anybody and show you scripture and verse on a whole lot of them. The number one purpose for the church, the number one reason we're here, is to take as many with us as we possibly can into eternity with the Father, into eternity with God. That's why we're here. And so the fact is, from the very beginning, from the very beginning of the church's existence, it started big. And having a big church has always been God's plan. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, 41. Acts 2 is really the beginning of the church as we know it. The the shift from the synagogue and the Jewish experience to the Christian church began right here. And Acts 2.41 says this, Those who accepted his, speaking of Peter, Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. In one day, the church goes from 120, who are in the upper room praying and asking them, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. God shows up, speaks through Peter, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And let me just tell you, that excited God. I don't think God goes, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? Way too many people. I can't, we can't deal with this. I don't think so. I think all of heaven rejoiced when that happened. From the beginning, big things have been happening. And from the opening day of the first church, huge things have been happening. And that's a, a revelation to us, to me, that that's the heart of God. He wants to reach all who are far from him. So let me say it again. And please let it sink in. God's church will never be too big for him. And if you have his heart and understand his plan, it will never be too big for you. It can't be. Personally, I want to tell you, and if you know me, you know this to be true, that I will not rest until every Jesus-loving church in this valley and beyond is full to capacity with people who are experiencing God, having God encounters and life-changing encounters with a living God. I will not rest. I am a monomaniac. I, I, I am focused on this. I will not rest until every. It's not just about East Point, by the way. I've told you, you know, you've heard me say this, that I pray for the church, all the churches, all those who lift up Jesus, I pray for them. And when I drive by the, their buildings, I pray for them. I meet with pastors on a regular basis. I'm having lunch with another one this, this Tuesday with a guy I haven't had lunch with yet, a pastor I don't know very well. But I do that intentionally because I believe in the church. And it's not just about us, but I will not rest until every Jesus-loving church in this valley and beyond is filled to capacity with people who are having encounters with the living God that changes them from the inside out. That's why we're here. That's the purpose. So how do we get there from here? That's the plan. God's desire is for a big church, for a lot of people to be in relationship with him. But how do we become everything as a church that God wants us to become and reach everyone that we possibly can? Well, there are literally books written about this topic. Believe me, I've read lots of them. And I've got lots of them in my personal library. 
But I want to land on a couple of things today that I think are, are appropriate for us. And the first one, I think, is the most important thing. How do we get there from here? Number one, the key to succeeding has everything to do with whom we focus on. And notice the whom is capital W. The key to succeeding has everything to do with whom we focus on. Let me be clear about this. For us, when it comes to having the heart of God, experiencing and putting in place the plan of God, not drifting from what he wants, it, it, we have to remain focused. The only way we're ever going to get there, the only way that's ever going to happen is as we keep our eyes fixed on him. The task is too big and the challenge too great for us without him. And so it's easy for me to start here and to remind you that what God wants to do requires God. We cannot do it without him. And I don't for a second even want to try. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, in chapter 13, there's the story uh, that some of you have seen on the movie with Charlton Heston. Some, maybe you've read it. But let me just paraphrase what's happening here. The Israelites, the children of Israel, had been for 400 years slave in Egypt, slaves in Egypt. And, and a miserable life, not a good life. God comes to Moses. Moses, you're going to deliver my people. He sends him to, to, uh, to take the Israelites out. He uses Moses to do some amazing things. God miraculously delivers the people of Israel. Miraculously shows up and does miracle after miracle after miracle. Takes them from Egypt on their way towards what is called in the Bible the promised land. The land that God promised for his people. And on the way, the, the Egyptian army pursues them, and God destroys that army. And so they see all sorts of amazing things have taken place. They are now literally on the brink. They are at the, at the riverbank. Uh, you know, when they cross that, they enter into the promised land. And God says to Moses, I want you to send 12 spies to go spy out the land. Go check it out. And so Moses selects 12 men. One tribal leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, guys, I want you to go into the promised land. Check it out. Spend some time. See what it's like. Go in there boldly, Moses said. Don't be afraid. Go boldly. God is with us. And then come back and report. That's exactly what they did. They went in. They checked it out. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. Great cluster so big that it took two guys to carry him on a pole to get it out. And they brought some back. So the 12 spies come back to Moses and to the people. And they report. It's incredible. The promised land is a phenomenal place. It's awesome. It's the, the, it is surely a land flowing with milk and honey, which is a way of saying it's fruitful and it's abundant and it's awesome. But 10 of the spies were very critical and negative about the opportunity ahead of them. 10 of the spies didn't focus on the Lord. In fact, they focused on the problem. Let me read to you a portion of Numbers 13, beginning verse 27. They... The ten guys gave Moses their report. They said, we went into the land you sent us to, and it really does have plenty of milk and honey. Here's some fruit from the land. Again, massive, size, incredible. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities have high walls around them and are very large. We even saw members of the family line of Anak there. It's giants. Then Caleb interrupted the men. Caleb was one of the two, Caleb and Joshua, who believed God and focused on him. Then Caleb interrupted, guys, cut it out. He interrupted the men who were speaking to Moses, and he said, we should go up and take the land. We can certainly do it. And obviously, you read in the story, you understand that Caleb wasn't saying we can do it, but God with us can do it. We can accomplish this. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him spoke, and they said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. The men spread a bad report among the, about the land among the people of Israel. 
And they said, the land we checked out destroys those who live in it. And all the people we saw there are very big and tall. Ten of the guys, where was their focus? It was not on the Lord. It was on the problems, on the challenges, on the giants, on the struggles, on the battle ahead for them. And God was not happy. In fact, those ten and all of the adults who groaned and moaned against the Lord, against Moses, that were adults at that time, none of them were allowed to go in the promised land. And they wanted for 40 years. And then Caleb and Joshua led them at that time, took the next generation in finally to conquer the promised land. But what I want you to see here is 12 guys go in, and 10 guys come back, and they're terrified. Why? Because their focus is on the wrong thing. Their focus was on the challenges. But Caleb and Joshua focused on the Lord. They focused on him. They fix their eyes on him. For us to focus on God, what does that mean? Well, it means that we, we look to him, we pray to him, we lean on him, we trust in him. That we don't ignore the problems. You know, I've had you do this exercise before. It's been quite a while. I want you to do it. Humor me and do this. Put your hand out right in front of you right now. Now look at me. Don't look at your hand. Look at me. Your hand is still, okay, good job. Thank you for cooperating. Your hand is still there. The, Caleb and Joshua did not ignore the fact that there were challenges there. But where was their focus? It wasn't here. It was on the Lord. They looked beyond what was right in their face. And that's what I talk about. I say fix our eyes on the Lord. It's not that we ignore or, you know, deny or pretend like there aren't challenges in our lives. How many of you have a challenge in your life? Yeah, about 99.9% .9 of you and the rest of you are sleeping. <laughs> we, we all do. We all have challenges. But the focus, where is it? Is it here? Is it right here? Or is it beyond that on someone who's bigger and better? Listen to me, when it comes to fulfilling God's plan for you personally, as an individual, when it comes to God fulfilling his plan, and by the way, he does have a plan for you. When it comes to fulfilling that plan in your life or fulfilling his plan for us collectively as a church, the who is always more important than the what. And if you're taking notes this morning, write that down. The who is always more important than the what. We don't ignore the what, but the who is where we focus. We focus on him. And the key to succeeding has everything to do with whom we focus on. And as we fix our eyes on the Lord, we realize that we have everything we need to do everything he's called us to do. And that's why Caleb and Joshua said, we can do this. Because we realize, yeah, there's some big battles ahead, some challenges, struggles ahead. But when we fix our eyes on him and we see how big and amazing and awesome. Remember, he was the God that delivered them miraculously. Killed the whole Egyptian army that was pursuing them. When we remember him and focus on him, then we realize we have everything that we need to do everything that God's called us to do. My grandfather, uh, years ago, was a brick mason. He, he died uh, long, when I was a kid, actually. But when he was uh, a laborer, he worked in St. Louis, Missouri, and was a brick mason. And he, he was uh, you know, often, in fact, he worked on some of the really tall buildings in St. Louis. Now, by the way, go cards, huh? huh? Okay, sorry. Sorry, just a couple. The rest of you are Texas fans. God bless you. But yeah, he worked. In fact, I got a picture. I want you to look at this picture. This is not my grandfather. This is the guy working on the Empire State Building. But, but you get the idea of how high up it was. And I remember asking him. I was maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. I, somewhere in there, I said, Grandpa, how is it you walk on those beams and those walls? Because he tells stories. How did you do it without falling? How did you actually get there without falling off? And I'm a, you know, a little boy who loved to climb on logs and walls and things and would often fall. I was not very athletically inclined. And so I was, Grandpa, how did you do it? And he, I will never forget what he told me. He said, grandson, he said, the key is you don't look down. You don't look at your feet. You look where you want to go. You fix your eyes where you want to go. And your feet will follow. 
Now, that's a little scary. I remember trying as a kid because you're, tempting, you're tempted to look down and to do this, to, to keep your eyes on the log, to keep your eyes on the wall. And he said, nope, trust that your feet will go where your eyes are. Let your eyes, and the point is, your focus will take you where you need to be. Some of you are going to try it later today. If you get hurt, a disclaimer is we're not responsible. But the truth is that it's, your focus takes you where you need to be. Where are you focused? Where are we as a church focused? For us to get where God wants us to be, we have to remain focused on him. How do we become everything as a church that God wants us to become and reach everyone we possibly can? Here's the second thing, number two. We must continue to plan and prepare for the future in faith. You know, you have heard me say before, and I will say it again, that God is the one we fix, fix our eyes on. It's all about him. We, he's the one who comes through. He does the, the, the impossible. But we do the possible. We, God always wants to have this, a, a, a relationship with us where we engage, where we participate with him. It's not where we just sit back on our laurels and just say, yeah, God, go take care of the promised land. Kill all the people and we'll move in. Uh-uh. The point for them was they were going to have to enter in and do some battle and, and, and go to war. God was going to be with them, but God was going to use them as well. And our part in this is that we must continue to plan and prepare for the future in faith. The very first home that we bought in Spokane those many years ago was this tiny little place. Uh, we only had two kids, so it really didn't matter, but it was less than 1,000 square feet. And we knew, though, when we moved into that place, that it was a great starter home. And we, but we knew that as our family grew, that the day would probably come where that house would not be big enough for us. That little red super wagon that I mentioned, it was great. I love that little car. In fact, I wish I sort of still had it now in some ways. But it, it was great when we had a couple of kids. But when we ended up with four, there's no way you're going to get four kids in a little Subaru. There's not enough room in the back seat, let alone enough seat belts. And so we ended up with a very manly minivan. It was awesome. But we knew when we had that red wagon that that was not going to work for us forever, that it would work for a while. We were always thankful for what God had given us. We were faithful with what we had at the time. But we knew that, that the, our future and our future plans would require more. I need to speak to those of you that consider East Point your church home. If you're visiting today, bear with me and, and uh, please be patient with me. But I, I want to talk to you about where we're at right now uh, with, our, with our room, our growth. Uh, when the owners of the dollar store came to us over a year ago now, and offered us the space and said, do you want to move into the space that the dollar store is vacating? Um, the board, uh, John Batista being one of the guys on it, the leadership team, we knew uh, that it would be a big challenge for us to do so, especially in the shadow of the Great Recession. And you know, since 2008, it's been tough. Things haven't bounced back for anybody. Uh, you know, it's been a financial, financially difficult season, and we knew that. But as we prayed and sought the Lord and prayed hard and got counsel and, and pursued this with an open heart, God made it very clear to us that we needed more room to reach more people, that we needed to say yes, that we needed to uh, trust him and pursue it. And we made a ridiculous offer to them, countered their offers, and we got a phenomenal deal. On, in fact, they renegotiated the entire lease. And I, again, I've told the story many times, and if you need to hear it and you haven't heard it, come see me and I'll tell you. But we knew, we knew that it would take faith for us to do so, but that it was, it was God and that we needed to pursue this. And I've asked you, uh, those of you that are part of this church, I've asked you to sacrificially and generously give to make this move a reality. And it's taken faith on your part. 
And I shared a couple weeks ago that the construction phase is done, and I let you wander over next door. And, and by the way, a little side note, next week we're going to meet next door. It's going to be very, 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 very rough. And I will probably sound like this. That will be probably the quality of the sound next week. But uh, we're going to try and move some things over there and make it possible. Because I want to give you a taste of what is, what, where we need to go and what needs to be accomplished. But the construction phase is done. The walls are up. The, the basic lights are in. The walls are painted. And we got the occupancy certificate. And they, but we are now in the finish phase, which if you've ever finished a home, you know that that's not the cheap phase either. And we still need about $200,000 to finish the project. And I am praying and hoping and would love for us to be in there by Christmas Eve. We'll have 3,000 people come through here on Christmas Eve, guys. And we would love to be in our new home by, by them. But it's going to take about three or four weeks for that to happen, to get it done, which really means that we've got about a month to raise $200,000 to get there. And they go, well, why do we need that much money? Well, there's the flooring which is about 40000 There's the stage lights and the sound system that we need to put in over there. And trust me, if you've done anything, if you've ever bought a sound system for your home, you know that electronics are a very expensive part of the process. And we've got to finish, and we need to finish well. And some of you have given sacrificially and have given so much, and I want to thank you. Thank you for your gift. Some of you have not been able to do as much as you wanted to because of your financial situation, and I understand that, and I thank you for trying. About 50% of our church, though, I asked our business manager this last week, about 50% have not given anything, not anything. And for a variety of reasons, I don't know, but they haven't given anything. And here's my point. For us to get there, we need to finish, and we need to all dig deeper and give, give, give to finish this project. And I know 200000 may sound daunting. It may sound like a lot. But let me break it down for you. Today, there will be about 1,000 adults who will come through our church. About that. We've been running close to that every week now since fall. About 1,000 adults will come through this room. This service is about 70% full. The next one is way beyond full. And if every adult in our church just gave $200, 200 bucks, we'll, we'll be there. We can finish this. If, if you do that this month, November, we can, we can get it done. $200. Now, some of you think, man, I've never given $200 in my life to a church, let alone in one month. Well, I'm asking you to dig deeper. I'm asking you to sacrificially give. Some of you can give a lot more than that for those who are unemployed and can't give anything. Some of you can write big checks, and I, I, I need you to write a big check. I've said this before, too. It's not the size of the gift. It's the size of the sacrifice, and, I, and I'm encouraging you to give. Why? Because we need to reach more. We need to reach more. I've had the pleasure of finishing uh, two marathons in my life, and I use the word pleasure loosely. But uh, if you're not sure, a marathon is a, a 26.2-mile race. Now, Herb, Herb's in here somewhere. Herb's, he's insane. He's run 27 marathons. Yeah, it's amazing. And he knows a guy that's run 300 marathons. I don't even know how you do that and, and walk. But anyhow, I've, I've completed two. But the point is, you know, one of the things that I, any average marathoner will tell you is that there really are two parts to that race. Now, the elite guys who run it like, you know, two minutes a mile and they're done in 30 minutes, they're, they're insane. I'm exaggerating. But those guys, are, they're on another plane. I'm not talking about them. Any average marathoner would tell you that there are really two parts to a race. There's the first 18 to 20 miles, and there's the last 6 to 8.2. And believe me, the point two is hard. It's the last part of that race that takes everything. Because when you reach that 18 or 20-mile mark, and I've been there twice, and Herb's been there 27 times, and I ask him, he said, oh, yeah. 
you, your body is depleted of all its natural ability, all its energy, all your everything that you've got stored up in you is gone. And you are, many reach the, hit the wall, they call it that point. That first, and sometimes at mile 12, 13, 14, that you've got this euphoric feeling and you've, you know, the endorphins are running through your system and you think, man, I can run forever. I can just, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this all day long. And then it hits, boom. And he's like, oh, man. And then every step, that last six miles or so, every step is a choice. Every step is a challenge. Every step is, I'm going to finish, and you get focused. My son joined me in the first one. He, he cheated and broke the rules and, and joined me in the race. He was just like a high school kid. And I said, son, get in front of me and just pace me. I'm just going to keep my eyes on your feet. And that's what I watched him. That's all I did for the last six miles was I watched him. That's where we're at. That's exactly what we're in this last half of the marathon. And we've gone, you guys have done so much. We've raised over 500000 but we've got to finish. And I'm asking you to help us finish well. Let me finish the message with this today. Sometimes people ask me, how big is big, en- big enough? How big is big enough? And I usually smile and I gently reply to that wrong question. Wrong question. The right question is, how many people still need to know Jesus? How many people still need to find the hope of the gospel? And I will tell you, I believe that God has a big plan for East Point. And it's not because I'm special. It's because he has a big plan. It's because he loves people. And he's just looking for people willing to do whatever they'll do. For people who will make whatever sacrifices are necessary to reach more for him. And I believe, and I've never shared this publicly, so if you've been sleeping, you might want to wake up because I'm going to, I have never publicly shared this with, with, with you, but I'm going to tell you today, I believe God's assignment to us is to reach 10% of this valley. 10%. And if you know the numbers, of which I'll tell you what they are, it's, that's about 100,000 people in our valley. Liberty Lake and the valley combined is about 100,000. And I believe our God-given assignment is for us to reach 10% of that, and if you're not good at math, that's 10,000 people. Now, I don't think that's going to be 10,000 people in one church. I think we will plant churches, God willing, and I want to. And the Lord just hasn't released us to do that yet. But they will come and we'll plant churches in Post Falls and Coeur d'Alene and, and West Valley. And I really believe that. So it's the, the church, daughter churches and us. But I believe that our assignment is that someday God wants us to influence and reach 10,000 people in this valley. And I'll be honest with you, that number both terrifies me and excites me. And guys, if you know me and you know my heart, it is not about me pastoring a mega church. That number terrifies me. But I believe with all my heart that we need to make God famous in this valley. We need to, we need to reach our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and the guys and the kids we go to school with. We need to reach them. And that God's plan for us is bigger than we can possibly imagine because he's a big God who has a big heart and has a big plan. One last scripture verse, Ephesians 3. Paul wrote these words. And it really was a prayer. It was his benediction at the, in this letter he wrote to the church in Ephesus. But he said, now to him, to God, who is able, listen to these words, who is able to do immeasurably more than all, all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. It's not God, it's not us, it's God, it's him. According to his power that is at work with us, to him, to God be glory in the church. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever 
and ever. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Don't answer out loud, but I want to ask you this question. How big is your God? I, I know how big God is, but in your perspective, in your view, in your understanding, how great is your God? In the struggles you're facing right now, and I know many of you facing financial, physical, relational struggles, my question for you is, is the problem bigger than God? And the answer is no. But do you think he, the problem's bigger than him? How big is your God? How great is your God? For us collectively as a church, We've got a challenge to get there, especially to pull it off in a month. And if it doesn't happen, I'm, we're going to keep, we are going, we are moving. It's a question of when. It's not if, it's when. And it's a huge challenge for us to get there. But how great is our God? How big is our God? Paul wrote that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I've got a pretty big imagination. <laughs> and, and maybe you don't, but I do. And the Bible says God's bigger than that. We must keep our eyes on him. We must focus on him. We must plan and prepare in faith for our future. And as we do, guys, we will experience more than we've ever dreamt possible. And it won't be for our glory. It'll be for his. It'll be for his. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I, I, I ask you, for those that have been stretched today, and struggle perhaps even with some of the numbers and the size and the idea. Lord, would you give them just in this instant a picture of how big you are? God, I can't do that. I can't reach into their minds and to their souls like you can. And Holy Spirit, I pray, would you go right now and open the eyes of their heart. Open their eyes to see how great you are and how great your love is for this valley and beyond. I pray, God, that you'd open their eyes to see their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers and the students they go to school with, the guys that walk down the street, the ladies in the grocery store line. line. God, please open their eyes to see people the way you see them, to see them, Lord, the way they've maybe never seen them before. And I know, God, that as you give us your heart, as we see your plan, that, God, we won't be afraid. We'll boldly go where no man has gone before. We will go boldly follow you. We'll be like Caleb and Joshua. And the cry of our hearts is, with God, we can do this. Because in him, nothing is impossible. God, give us that heart. Give us those eyes. Give us that faith today. Give all of us that faith. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And maybe you're here today and I talk about faith and you've not yet begun your life of faith in relationship with Jesus, in relationship with the Father. And you're here for a variety of reasons, maybe to check things out. Maybe you've just been investigating Christianity. Maybe you don't know why you're here. But you realize in this moment right now that you need God and that you want to know his plan for your life and you want to walk with him and experience his grace and forgiveness. You just know it. Something's clicked. A light has gone on. The Holy Spirit has illuminated something in your mind right now today, and you see what you've never seen before. You see your desperate need for a Savior. And if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And it's not just the words that matter. It's really your heart. But make these words a reflection of your heart right now. And as you do, you begin your life as a child of God, as a child of his. 
make this prayer yours. Father, I need you. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life for me. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I've sinned. I have failed. I am far from what you want, God. I know that. And somehow I today begin to believe that you have a plan for me that is bigger and better than I possibly imagined, that it is good and glorious and awesome, that it is full of life and freedom and joy and hope, that it won't always be easy. I know that, God, but I know now that you'll be with me and that I can walk with you and you will walk with me. And so right here, right now, today, I surrender. I give my life to you. I give it all to you. Now, if that's you, just in your own way, say, yeah, God, that's me. That, that's my prayer. That's my heart. And the instant you do, guys, the instant you do, you become his child. Lord, for those that are saying yes to you right now, burn it in their hearts, Lord, that you love them, that you're never going to leave them, and that they belong to you now, that they're new people and you're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Show them, Lord, what that means. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. This is a song that asks a question that I ask you, how great is your God? But we have an opportunity now to sing this as a declaration. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's great. Let's sing this together and I'll come back and wrap it up. That thing right there in front of you, that personal thing you're facing, and I know many of you are, he's bigger than that. Listen, really, he's bigger. The thing we face as a church, whatever struggles, challenges ahead of us right now, Weeks from now, months from now, years from now, decades from now, he's bigger. How great is our God? I want you to understand that and leave with that conviction today. If you begin your life as Christ follower today, tell somebody you're going to make their day. Come tell me. Let us know how we can walk with you. There's a packet on the tables as you walk out. This is for new Christians on. It's got some material to get started. And you'll walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. Prayer team, you'll be down front. We want to support you and help you too. So if you need prayer, Sometimes you, you need others to walk with you. Please let us pray for you. Communions on both sides of the room. And then two other things real quick. Out in the lobby, it's the table. I'd love to see those boxes gone. I'd love to tell the 11 o'clock service, sorry, we ran out. And we'll get more. But the uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes are there. Stop and pick up at least the, the uh, brochure for that so you can get your own box and do that. And then uh, come back tomorrow night and bring your neighbors, bring your, your friends. It's going to be a fun time, a great time together. Go. Go with a great God. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.